As we begin our time in God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning grateful for the worship that we've already enjoyed, grateful for the work of your word in our lives and uh, that we have it before us today to testify to the hope of the gospel, the hope uh, the final hope that we have of the return of Christ and the uh, work of redemption that he will do at the end of the age and the work of judgment that he will do at the end of the age. And so, Lord, as we come to uh, study your word today, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds that we might receive the truth that you would have for us today and that you would give me strength and clarity that I might speak the words of life to these, your people. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're... Oh, tonight. I'm already messed up. Uh, this, this morning... This morning, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again as we go back to this text we considered uh, last week. And we're going to look at another section of that or actually a part of it that we read uh, last week, but we didn't really study, uh, which is uh, verses 20 through 28. But we're going to jump around a bit today. So we're going to be in a couple of other passages that aren't in the bulletin. I'll go ahead and tell you about them so that you can be putting your fingers in those locations as well. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, which is the familiar Great Commission. Uh, And then we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, so uh, verses 11 through 15. So we're going to span the whole of the New Testament today as we consider uh, this last work of Jesus that is referenced in the Apostles' Creed. And so as we've done each, each uh, week in, in the study on the Apostles' Creed, let's begin by reciting the creed together. And you have it there in the center of your bulletin. And so you can read along aloud as I do. And so let's recite that now. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today we come to the last of the works of Jesus that the Apostles' Creed mentions, and that is this long clause that's got all this cool, cool old English in it, where it says, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We're going to cover all of that today. All right, so so buckle up. Uh, But uh, this statement, in my mind, expresses a reality that I think Baptists have often ignored. Uh, Really, the reality that Jesus is right now, in this very moment, and all throughout this universe, ruling and reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I say that Baptists have ignored this because we tend to represent 
the ascension uh, and return of Jesus as kind of this going away and coming back. That Jesus was finished with his work of salvation. He went away. He's up in heaven. He's not really doing much. And one day he will come back and that's when he'll really finish things out. We speak of the ascension as though Christ left us completely to ourselves and now we have to eke out an existence in this sinful world waiting on him to return and fix everything. But this is not the way the New Testament speaks of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Instead, what I want you to understand is that Jesus Christ is ruling now over this world. That this rule is growing and expanding and will one day uh, end when he brings final judgment on this world. To see that, let's return to a part of the text that we studied last week, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 20, verses 20, I mean, chapter 15, I'm sorry, verses 20 through 28. So let's read that together uh, or follow along with me as I read that and then we'll get into the points of the sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection... It is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will, be, will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So there are three points that I want you to see from this passage today. And that is, I want you to see the present reign, the future return, and the final recompense of Jesus Christ. The, the present reign, the future return, and the final recompense of Jesus Christ. So first, I want you to see the present reign of Jesus Christ. In verses 20 through 25, Paul tells us of God's strategy for defeating all of his enemies. And if you remember, we talked about the resurrection last week. And after Jesus rose again from the dead, he didn't just immediately leave and ascend into heaven. Instead, he comes and he, shows, he reveals himself to his disciples. And he spends about 40 days uh, teaching his disciples and giving them the commission to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel. And after he had spent those 40 days preparing his disciples to spread the gospel into all the world. He calls his disciples up on a mountain and he gives them one last commission and then he ascends into heaven. We might make the mistake of thinking that this was 
the end of a chapter, so to speak. That the story is over. That Jesus has done all He's going to do. And now He's ascended into heaven to rest and to relax and to wait on the end to come. That all He's doing is just waiting up in heaven. But Jesus is not waiting from heaven. He is reigning from heaven. Notice two important phrases in verses 24 and 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First of all, in verse 24, Paul says that Christ will deliver the kingdom to God. Notice this important word, after. In fact, you might want to underline after. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. Right now, in this present age... Jesus is building and expanding his kingdom. And as he does, he is defeating every rule and authority and power that would raise its might against him. There is not one rebellious kingdom, a single pagan religion, a lone philosophy that has not broken against the rock of the kingdom of God. The Roman army could vanquish any enemy on the battlefield, but they could not defend the Roman Empire from the spread of the gospel. The emperors Domitian and Trajan and Marcus Aurelius could, have, uh, could do their worst to stamp out the rise of Christianity, and yet where they stamped, the fire spread all the more until the gospel reached all the way to the emperor himself. The pagan lands of the Angles and the Saxons and the Germans could resist the advance of the Romans, but they could not resist the spread of the kingdom of God. Karl Marx could condemn religion as the opium of the masses, but long after Marx and Lenin and Stalin, the church of Christ still exists and still rules in the former Soviet Union. And even now, the sexual revolution and the identity ideology of our day can deny the very reality of God's good creation. But Jesus Christ will win over that power too. It too will break against the rock of the kingdom of God. Second, notice in verse 25 that Paul says, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, don't miss this all-important word. In fact, again, you can underline it in your Bible through 28. But we're going to jump around a bit today, so we're going to be in a couple of other passages that aren't in the bulletin. I'll go ahead and tell you about them so that you can be putting your fingers in those locations as well. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, which is the familiar Great Commission. Uh, and then we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, so uh, verses 11 through 15. So we're going to span the whole of the New Testament today as we consider uh, this last work of Jesus that is referenced in the Apostles' Creed. And so as we've done each, each uh, week in, in the study on the Apostles' Creed, let's begin by reciting the Creed together. And you have it there in the center of your bulletin. And so you can read along aloud as I do. And so let's recite that now. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today we come to the last of the works of Jesus that the Apostles' Creed mentions, and that is this long clause that's got all this cool cool old English in it, where it says, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We're going to cover all of that today. All right, so, so buckle up. Uh, but uh, this statement, in my mind, expresses a reality that I think Baptists have often ignored. Uh, really, the reality that Jesus is right now, in this very moment, and all throughout this universe, ruling and reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I say that Baptists have ignored this because we tend to represent the ascension uh, and return of Jesus as kind of this going away and coming back. That Jesus was finished with his work of salvation. He went away. He's up in heaven. He's not really doing much. And one day he will come back and that's when he'll really finish things out. We speak of the ascension as though Christ left us completely to ourselves and now we have to eke out an existence in this sinful world waiting on him to return and fix everything. But this is not the way the New Testament speaks of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Instead, what I want you to understand is that Jesus Christ is ruling now over this world. That this rule is growing and expanding and will one day uh, end when he brings final judgment on this world. To see that, let's return to a part of the text that we studied last week, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 20, verses, I mean, chapter 15, I'm sorry, verses 20 through 28. So let's read that together uh, or follow along with me as I read that and then we'll get into the points of the sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, It is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will will also be subjected to him 
who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So there are three points that I want you to see from this passage today. And that is, I want you to see the present reign, the future return, and the final recompense of Jesus Christ. The the present reign, the future return, and the final recompense of Jesus Christ. So first, I want you to see the present reign of Jesus Christ. In verses 20 through 25, Paul tells us of God's strategy for defeating all of his enemies. And if you remember, we talked about the resurrection last week. And after Jesus rose again from the dead, he didn't just immediately leave and ascend into heaven. Instead, he comes and he shows, he reveals himself to his disciples. And he spends about 40 days uh, teaching his disciples and giving them the commission to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel. And after he had spent those 40 days preparing his disciples to spread the gospel into all the world, he calls his disciples up on a mountain and he gives them one last commission and then he ascends into heaven. We might make the mistake of thinking that this was the end of a chapter, so to speak, that the story is over, that Jesus has done all he's going to do, and now he's ascended into heaven to rest and to relax and to wait on the end to come, that all he's doing is just waiting up in heaven. But Jesus is not waiting from heaven. He is reigning from heaven. Notice two important phrases in verses 24 and 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First of all, in verse 24, Paul says that Christ will deliver the kingdom to God. Notice this important word, after. In fact, you might want to underline after. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. Right now, in this present age, Jesus is building and expanding his kingdom. And as he does, he is defeating every rule and authority and power that would raise its might against him. There is not one rebellious kingdom, a single pagan religion, a lone philosophy that has not broken against the rock of the kingdom of God. The Roman army could vanquish any enemy on the battlefield, but they could not defend the Roman Empire from the spread of the gospel. The emperors Domitian and Trajan and Marcus Aurelius could, have, uh, could do their worst to stamp out the rise of Christianity. And yet where they stamped, the fire spread all the more until the gospel reached all the way to the emperor himself. The pagan lands of the Angles and the Saxons and the Germans could resist the advance of the Romans, but they could not resist the spread of the kingdom of God. Karl Marx could condemn religion as the opium of the masses, but long after Marx and Lenin and Stalin, the church of Christ still exists and still rules in the former Soviet Union. And even now, the sexual revolution and the identity ideology of our day can deny the very reality of God's good creation. But Jesus Christ will win over that power too. It too will break against the rock of the kingdom of God. Second, 
Notice in verse 25 that Paul says, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, don't miss this all-important word. In fact, again, you can underline it in your Bible. The word reign. In this present age, Jesus is not waiting. He is not fretting over what we miserable humans might do. He is not watching the political talk shows. Praise God, right? He is not watching the political talk shows to know whether America will be saved or not. Jesus is reigning. But you might wonder, how is Jesus reigning? How is it that he is reigning when our country seems to be morally corrupt? How is it that he is reigning when there are parts in the parts of this world where the gospel has not gone into and has not broken into? Well, there are three ways that we find that Jesus reigns in this world. And I want you to notice these three ways from Scripture. First, Jesus reigns through the gospel work of his church. To see that, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Very familiar passage. Many of you might be able to quote it from your Bible drill days. Uh, It is a good one to, to memorize if you haven't already memorized it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is the famous Great Commission, the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples before ascending. And this commission serves as marching orders for the church. And, and the command reinforces the fact that Jesus reigns. Notice in verse 18 how Jesus begins this commission. He doesn't begin this commission by saying, well, good luck, right? He doesn't begin this commission by saying, well, I'm going to give you some helpful steps as to how you guys can manage while I'm gone. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. All authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has authority over Satan and demons and presidents and dictators and armies and natural forces. He has authority over all of it. And because he has authority, has has all authority, his church can now be about his business and we can do his business with the authority of Jesus Christ. So what business are we to be about? Well, Jesus tells us what the church is to be about. We are to make disciples of all nations and we are to baptize and we are to teach Now, you'll notice some things are absent there. There are some things like having uh, uh, being a social institution. There are things that are missing, like even having a food pantry or a, a homeless shelter or whatever it might be. Now, are those things good? Yes, they are. 
Are those things that Christians should do? Yes, they are. But the commission of the church is the gospel proclamation. The work of this institution at Antioch West Baptist Church, the work of the pastor and the deacons and the consideration of the church and business uh, in the business meeting is to be concerned for the proclamation of the gospel around this world, starting here on this road and working out from there to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we are to be concerned as a church with baptizing and teaching those who we have led to Christ. That is our work. And when we do that business, we do it under the authority of Jesus Christ. And what authority does Jesus have? All authority. So when we preach the gospel, we are doing it with all authority. We are doing it with the power of the word of God, by the spirit of God, and nothing can stop us, not even the gates of hell. So Jesus extends his reign and he defeats his enemies through the work of the church in the world. Second, Jesus reigns through the personal holiness of believers. Uh, now, we talked about this text this past Wednesday night, but in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus gives these familiar metaphors for what his disciples are to be doing while uh, in the world, how disciples of Jesus Christ are to be working in this world. And if you remember from that famous passage, Jesus says that we are to be salt and light, that we are to be salt of the earth and we are to be lights in this world. Now, in comparing disciples to salt, he is calling on two aspects of the properties of salt. For one, Salt acts as a preservative. So just as salt acts to preserve meat so that it doesn't spoil, so too Christians preserve society through their holiness. Salt also enhances flavor so that foods that otherwise taste like nothing end up bursting with flavor. Now, uh, Brother Harold uh, Wednesday night pointed out that, you know, eggs don't taste like much when you don't have salt on them. And, and uh, grits don't taste like much when you don't have salt on them. But when you put a little salt on them, you, they start to taste pretty good. And I, I mentioned Wednesday night, and I'll mention it again, I, I love salt. In fact, uh, I made a recipe last night that Leah couldn't eat because I put too much salt on it. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and some of y'all have pointed out that there are a lot of things that are very similar between uh, Brother Watson and me. Brother Watson likes to burn things. I like to burn things. <laughs> Brother Watson likes to, likes to hunt birds. I like to hunt birds. But there's one way that we're different. He doesn't like salt. And I like salt. So, <laughs> but salt adds flavor. It brings out the properties of the food that you eat. It enhances the food that you eat. In fact, every cake has a little salt in it. Even sweet things have salt in it so that you can actually contrast and taste the sweetness of the cake. And uh, in a similar way, Christians bring out the beauty of this world. Christians bring beauty and goodness to this world by our worship of our, uh, of our God and our faithful witness to the abundant life. 
when we live faithfully in our marriages, when we raise our children in the way of the Lord, when we worship together on Sunday, or we write beautiful music, or we build structures that are good, or we lead others to build a good society, we are like salt that adds flavor, which brings the kingdom of God to bear in this world. Jesus also says that we are like light. Light serves two purposes as well. For one, it is like a beacon, like a city set on a hill. So our holiness, the holiness of our lives, they serve to, it serves to draw others to Christ. It serves to prop up or to, to illuminate, to, to, set, to shine out the glory of God. Light also serves to illuminate the truth of things. It serves to reveal things the way they really are. So yes, our holiness will reveal the depravity of sin. When we live out the faithful life of Jesus Christ in our own lives, we reveal life the way it should be. And when people see that against the way they live, it does serve to convict them. But it, in the, it is necessary that we live holy lives so that they see the difference in our lives and they learn the gospel through us and through our witness to them. Our holy lives point them to their sin and point them to the way of salvation. So God's kingdom is brought to bear as we shine the light of holiness in this world. And lastly, Christ reigns through justice. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You see, justice, wherever it is meted out, is a work of God. The pagan king who rules well is as much a minister of God and an example of God's rule in this world as any pastor or Christian politician. The unbelieving police officer with a strong sense of justice is created by God to ensure that evil is punished. And God is able to use him just as much as he is able to use the missionary on the foreign field. So Jesus is presently reigning, but his reign is going somewhere. So consider my second point, which is the future return of Christ. So the creed looks forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come to judge the quick and the dead. As 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 23 promises that, as Paul says, in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ is ruling now, but there will come a day when he will finish his work. There will come a day when he will defeat every enemy, when Satan will have tried and failed at every deceitful philosophy, every oppressive government, and every wicked idolatry. There will come a day when the gospel will reach the ends of the earth and all nations will be brought to God. When that day comes, Jesus will return in a shout, in the sound of a trumpet, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52 says. And in, the, in that moment, 
The dead in Christ will rise to new life. So we work and we wait for that day. We work as salt and light in the world that the king, so that God's kingdom might be seen in us. We work through the church to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. We work to bring justice to this world. And we wait as Jesus Christ defeats his enemies through those works. But as we work, we might wonder, what's the point? What's the point when our country seems to be sliding into moral decay? What's the point when China and Nepal and the Arab states seem to be so resistant to the spread of the gospel? What's the point when our own government seems to traffic more in injustice than in justice? We work not because we will be the generation to see its completion, but because we have faith that even still Jesus reigns. And he will win. And when he does win, when his rule is complete, he will bring us up out of the ground and make us new so that we will revel in it too. Lastly, see that Jesus will return and he will bring a final recompense with him. So the creed ends... The works of Jesus by confessing that he will judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, the quick and the dead. That's where that comes from. To see this, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this scene is known as the great white throne judgment. After Satan has finally been defeated, God calls all of humanity to judgment, both the quick and the dead, those who are living and those who are long past. Notice he says, even death, even death and Hades gave up their dead. So he calls all the souls who have ever lived to account for what they have done. And there are two books that are opened in this great white throne judgment. There is the book of life, And then there, I imagine, is a library of books that are the works of men. I don't know if it's filing cabinets or library shelves, but there are these books that are open before the Lord and in them are written all of the works that men and women have done. 
And then every man and woman, as Revelation says, both small and great, wealthy and poor, righteous and unrighteous, all of humanity is brought before God and they are called to give an account. If your name is written in the book of life, you enter into eternal life with God. But if your name is not written there, you are judged according to your works. Now, you might be thinking, well, good. I'm glad I'm judged according to my works because, you know, I'm I'm here on Sunday. I give to all the charities. I give to the humane shelter. I give to whenever whenever uh, the tractor supply asks me if I want to give to Mutt's Nation. I round up. I'm a I'm a good person, you know. And you might think, well, I've done what I'm supposed to do, and so I hope God opens my book and judges me by my works. But I want you to notice in verse 15 the certainty with which. God judges every person who is not written in the book of life. Notice in verse 15, it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was what? He was thrown into the lake of fire. There is no ambiguity here. You cannot be saved by your works There is no one who will stand before Jesus Christ on that day and impress him by what is written in the book of works. No, the only hope that anyone has for escaping the judgment of Jesus Christ is to fall now upon his mercy through his death and his resurrection. And so, friend. Jesus Christ right now in this very moment at this very place is reigning. And he will complete his rule and bring judgment on all the world. You will be judged for your sins and thrown into the lake of fire unless you repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So won't you turn to him today? Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus reigns. Our Lord Jesus reigns. He reigns over our, our city. He reigns over our state. He reigns over, over our nation. And He reigns over our world. And we might think as we work that it seems useless, that it seems toilsome, that it seems like nothing will be ever be right. But we would be wrong to think that because Jesus Christ is doing His exact will even now, even in this time and place, because He reigns over the nations. He reigns over this world. All authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. And so when you go to tell people about Him, you can know that you go with the authority of the King of Kings. When you do good in this world, you can know that you do it with the authority and the power of the King of Kings. When you live faithfully as a good man or a good woman in this world and you care for others and you give to the poor and you help the helpless and you and you raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, even as people scorn you for it, you can know that you do so in the power of God and Jesus reigns and he is reigning through what you do in this world. 
He is defeating every last enemy as we live holy lives before a watching world. He is destroying every power as we make disciples and spread the gospel. And so may we be about his business as we work and wait for his return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your, uh, your victory over sin and death. We thank you for the rule of Jesus Christ, even now, who is ruling through your word. He is ruling through your church. He is ruling through your people. He is ruling through the authorities of this world. He is in complete control. And there is not one person in who, even though they might be in sin and rebellion against you, there is not one person who will have victory over him. But Jesus Christ will rule and he will bring this world to its completion at the right time. And he will judge the nations as the righteous judge of the whole world. And everyone will give an account because he is just. And Lord, we trust in his justice, we trust in his grace, and we rest in what you have done through your son. We pray that you would give us courage as we go from this place. Give us the power of your spirit as we go from this place, that we might work and wait for you as you work out your rule over this world. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.